Welcome to The Joy of Marketing with me, Andrew Feach. This week, I'm joined by Scott Brinker. He's the VP Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot, runs the chief MarTech blog, which is known as the Absolute Authority on Marketing Technologies, and he's also the author of Hacking Marketing, about what marketers can learn from software engineers. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andrew. So I guess one of the things we've seen particularly, I guess, with COVID hitting, is there been a lot of people who were running brick-and-mortar shops who have now been setting up online. Um, so, so what, from sort of a, a marketing side, would you say are, are, are the big issues that they've got to deal with? Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's like the world, um, the, the, the world was on a steady transition to embracing more and more digital engagement with customers, you know, I, I don't know how many of these like uh, digital transformation projects I'd seen over the years that, you know, they had these five year and 10 year roadmaps. Uh, and then, yeah, with the craziness of 2020, I mean, certainly terrible circumstances, but it was a catalyst that basically forced every business to be mode. It's kind of either digital or nothing. Um, and so all of a sudden that like just pace of companies being able to, uh, yeah, basically stand up, you know, digital channels or improve digital channels for the way to engage with their customers. Um, I mean, it was just outstanding, uh, the, the, the pace at which, uh, that happened. I'm sure none of us want to repeat uh, the circumstances of that motivation ever again, but, um, yeah, in, in one year, I think sort of the whole, digital marketing, digital business landscape as we knew it uh, just took a uh, uh, really an exponential yeah. shift. And I have to say, from, from a personal side, in some ways, I felt quite bad because all of these businesses were struggling so badly. And because I was in e-commerce, I was actually in a business that was rocketing. So it was, uh, it, you know, it, it, it was great. But also, of course, you know, Truly terrible at the same time. What was uh, what was happening to other people's businesses, and of course, even more seriously, um, you know, all of the people that suffered. But yeah, I, I guess I suppose one of the big things that 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 the shops are experiencing though is that they've then got a much wider range of competitors. Because obviously, as a, as a standard brick and mortar store, you know, your competitors are kind of uh, you know in in that same town. But the moment they actually move online, they suddenly find that they're up against Jeff Bezos and international competition. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things here. First of all, it is worth recognizing. I mean, uh, hopefully 2020 was a moment in time, um, you know, and uh, I, I, I think we all hopefully see like some light at the end of the tunnel here. You know, there will be, I mean, you already have the sense of just the pent up demand of we are social creatures uh, and there's only so far we can get, you know, with like Zoom engagements, uh, you know, and clicking around in our browser. I mean, we are, we also crave these experiences in the real world. And so I think, yeah, there will be a second competitive wave, uh, you know, for retail to a certain degree, but also just more broadly, I mean, uh, experiences that are based in the physical world uh, to come back and compete, uh, you know, on a dimension that's just different, you know, than the purely virtual. Yeah, that being said, um, you know, if you're looking at your e-commerce portion of your business, which I think now everyone acknowledges, even in the face of like real world engagement, will continue to be a much larger percentage, uh, you know, just transactions we do. If you're going to compete up against the Amazons of the world, 
you have to find a way to create an experience online that is compelling for them. I mean, you know, Amazon's great. It's got scale. It's got all this sort of stuff. But it is, I, I, I don't believe it is the be all and end all of the experience that every person wants for every purchase or engagement that they're making. Uh, and so I think there's a tremendous amount of space for, you know, creative, uh, you know, businesses and marketing uh, in the space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um but going more specifically onto marketing, obviously you've written a lot about where marketing meets technology. Um, and I know you have a radical view about what someone in marketing is doing when they set up an email automation. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the phrase radical view. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's quite you know, radical. I mean, I think I'm it's like radical. a marketing and tech nerd, you know. I never really <laughs> thought of myself as a radical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an interesting way to frame it. What you've said, which which really struck me, is that is that the marketing person is programming, and I think that is one of the things that is radically different. Because you know, when somebody's running their their brick and mortar store, they're not doing any marketing activity that is remotely like programming. <laughs> and, but as they come online, they have to actually start working in a very very different way. Yeah, no, and that's really interesting. Yeah, certainly one of my themes that I've been doing a lot of research on, uh, particularly this past year, uh, has been this whole collection of what they call no-code uh, tools, which is actually, I think, a very broad label for things of like, oh, well, I want to configure this automation or this workflow or, you know, this little web experience. And I don't know how to code, but I kind of know what I want, you know. And so these tools in a very visual way allow me to assemble that. And I think you're right. I mean, this is definitely a new set of skills. But as I think about it here, I'm not sure if it's really all that different than what a lot of business owners were doing in the physical world, too. I mean, like, right, if you're running a physical shop over the years you were in that business, you were learning okay, well, how do I set up my window display? You know, how do I do end cap promotions, you know, on my aisles? What do I put at the checkout register? You know, what sort of flyers do I, I mean, there were basically all these things that you could argue were like, okay, I mean, they're not innate skills that, you know, that we know. It is stuff basically we learned, okay, this is the mechanisms for marketing and delivering customer experience in the physical world. And yeah, it's just now we're having to learn a different set uh, of skills for marketing and customer engagement, uh, you know, uh, in the in the cyber world. But I think that's part of what these no-code tools and this whole movement towards better user experiences uh, with a lot of these products is to actually make it accessible, you know, for non-engineers to be in a position to help shape the way they want the customer experience to be online yeah and actually of course we were just chatting briefly before we started that both both you and i were software engineers you know before making the move into marketing um and i would certainly say though that i've definitely found a lot of the skills i learned in software were incredibly useful um you know whether whether it was testing or or, or i guess even just the way that you that way that you rapidly iterate when you're developing software. Yeah, and you're right. That is a very different dynamic than the physical world. I mean, like if I wanted to, you know, I've got a physical shop, you know, and I have a certain layout in mind of the store, 
and I set it up and I'm like, you know, I'm not sure this layout is the optimal one. I mean, the work of like rearranging it is ridiculous. And there's only so many times you can do that. And it's kind of hard to A-B test yeah. <laughs> alternative. Yeah. You have to have multiple stores, I guess. But yeah, I mean, the digital environment, that is one of the things that's kind of magical about it is it is incredibly malleable. Uh, and you're right. I mean, software engineers sort of just took this for granted is like, oh, yeah, well, I tried this. It didn't work. I tried something different. You know, it's a matter of, you know, minutes. Um, but, yeah, I think the marketing profession overall, we're we're getting better at it. But, yeah, th- that's still just even conceptually this. It, it's not that it's even technically difficult to do. It's just this conceptual thing of saying I have a lot of freedom to be able to rearrange and experiment in a way that I never had before in the physical world. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you if you were the marketing director of a of an e-commerce store, would you be still thinking about that traditional route of lots of research, putting together a very detailed marketing plan? Um or would you be more just you know taking more of that sort of software approach of just of just trying a bunch of stuff and seeing what sticks? I think a- a bit of a hybrid, you know, I think it's important to have a strategy to understand like, okay, I've, I'm in a particular competitive environment. I, I, I need to really understand who the customers are I'm trying to serve. And I need to have, you know, a strategy that hopefully leads to a number of hypotheses about how to win. You know, I think where the iterative part really comes in is like, okay, the actual execution of that strategy. I mean, it's a wonderful position to be in that you don't have to place all your chips on the table, you know, in one lump sum and say, okay, this strategy implemented this way. It's either that or bust. You can say, okay, this is my strategy, but actually I'm going to implement in a way that does that experimentation and test my hypotheses. And part of that might just lead me to finding what are the best tactics for executing that strategy And part of it might actually be feedback that says, okay, actually, my strategy actually might not have been the right one. And here's what I've learned. And now here's how I'm going to adjust it. You know, but I think it is very important to have a strategy that's guiding the iteration just so that, yeah, if if, if you're just throwing random things against the wall, the problem (laughs) is there's, you know, combinatorially more (laughs) possibilities than atoms in the universe. So it's like, yeah, yeah, the the odds of finding something coherent there. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I I would also say as well, as well, the strategy, as you get into the testing, you probably are wanting to test bigger things. Um, And I mean, certainly, I would say when I look at most of the tests I've done, I mean, probably things like price tends to be, price and the offer tends to be the things that really makes a movement. Whereas, I don't know, when you're down to changing a font or changing a headline, you know, you maybe get a fraction of a percent here or there, but it doesn't really, it's not really going to move the business. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was that story of, um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, you know, Google, like way back in the days. I, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but like the story that they had actually tested something like 40 different shades of blue for the colors of, you know, ad links to see which, you know, and I guess actually if you're talking just a fraction of a percentage, but it's a fraction of percentage, you know, against, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of transactions and yeah, okay, maybe that's worth it. But yeah, you can definitely get a bit uh, down in the weeds. Um, and at a smaller scale, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, I can absolutely see that. Um, and also, of course, at the smaller scale, you, you probably don't even 
often have the traffic to really actually be able to get um, a proper result. Anyway, so I can't have the Chief Martech guy here without talking about the actual ecosystem. So I've I've set up my store, you know, on WooCommerce, Shopify, something like that. I think probably the first thing I did was installed Google Analytics, which I think, you know, for that core, that core basic information of what's going on is probably... I guess probably still is the first thing that people are going to install. And of course, there's the advantage of being free as well. So, I mean, what sort of other categories should the sort of smaller business be thinking about next? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, right, you're looking at a customer journey. So, you know, there's what are you going to do to attract people at the very top of the funnel? And that might be some combination of, you know, inbound marketing around, you know, a content strategy, uh, it might, uh, you know, be involving, yeah, the, the, the popular word of the day is, you know, influencers, you know, within certain, uh, you know, social networks or, uh, you know, channels. Uh, it might be just actually advertising and who am I trying to reach and through what channels and what that. So, you know, it's like whatever you put in place for that. But then I think, yeah, you know, there's the next step of once you get those first touches, you know, with people like, OK, how do you how do you nurture uh, that relationship, um, you know, do you have a subscription option that people sign up because they're going to get, you know, special offers? And, and, you know, I mean, is that a compelling thing? You know, it's like what do you what you provide there? Something that someone sees and they're like, yeah, wow, that was really great versus, you know, they get three or four messages from you in a given day kind of all junky. And they're like, all right, that was a mistake. Unsubscribe off of that, you know, so there's the technology you put in place to actually execute and deliver these things. You know, there's the technology you put in place to sort of analyze, uh, you know, and uh, manage it. But yeah, it doesn't have to be a huge, huge stack, right? I mean, like, you know, you can talk about a handful of products connected to your primary platform that, yeah, frankly, give most businesses 95% of what they need. Yeah. I mean, isn't the way I, I think about that structure is, is the three R's of, of marketing. So the first one um, is recruitment, obviously getting the customer. Second R is retention. And again, obviously, usually in e-commerce, it's probably pretty difficult to be profitable on order one. So it's probably the retention is where the profit's going to come. And then finally, reactivation, you know, for getting these lapsed um, customers, or hopefully some of them at least, to, to come back. So I guess... In terms of that that ecosystem, the you know you're, you're probably going to be using Google and Facebook, I, I guess, as the core for recruitment. Um, but then, uh, as you get on to retention, um, I mean, what, what would be sort of good, you know, good products to be looking at? Well, well, I mean, again, to me, it's almost less about the product and more about like, okay, what is what is your mechanism for retention from a, like, what's the offer? What's the reason why people would come back to you? Is it because you specialize perhaps, you know, in a particular, uh, you know, niche and like in that niche, you basically want to be renowned as the expert source, you know, for those customers. And it's not always about selling them something at that moment. It can also be about like, Okay, here are some interesting tips and tricks about what you can do if if we know you're like cheese. Have you ever wondered like, you know, how people think about categorizing cheese? I, I don't know, I'm making this up. Yeah. I don't know cheese. <laughs> um, but right, you know, it's like you become like if you can become their source of information about yeah. interesting in, you know, information about uh cheese, 
then yeah, that becomes a reason for them to stay engaged with you, you know, to either visit your blog or subscribe to your newsletter, you know, and then at that point in time, right, the relationship is okay, anytime they're thinking, you know, I might want to get some of that cheese, they go to you. Um, yeah. And I guess it, you don't I mean, need a lot of technology to do that. Well, that is absolutely true. No, you, 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 you really don't. Um, and I guess the other element on retention is if people aren't buying again, it is trying to dive in to find out exactly why they aren't buying so you can change, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I guess that's another difficulty that we have in e-commerce versus a brick and mortar store because in a conventional store obviously you can just speak to the customers <laughs> and you can very easily find out exactly what they're thinking what they like about your products what they don't like whereas obviously in e-commerce we're just that we're just that one step removed yeah it's true it, it, it's hard i mean there's obviously things people do to try and get at that whether it's you know on-site surveys or you know follow-up emails or you know like listening uh you know channels for you know social and review sites um yeah but you know i mean like particularly when you're getting started and you just don't have a lot of volume uh yeah that it, it i definitely agree getting getting good feedback can be challenging um, but, you know, I mean, again, there's, there's tricks that us traditional marketers, you know, have had in our playbook for ages. Like if we understand who the customers are, we're going after, you know, to like even assemble, like do a little market research of like assemble a panel, uh, you know, of what you consider prospective customers who fit that target market and pay them to actually say, OK, I want you to go through this site and I want you, you know, do these steps and, you know, tell me like. What what are you thinking here? What are you feeling? Do you like this? Do you not like it? You know, again, this stuff isn't perfect. It never was perfect. But, you know, there's definitely ways you can solicit feedback um, in the digital space that, you know, we can borrow some of those like, uh, you know, physical world, uh, you know, concepts yeah. uh, and adapt them. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess as, as the sort of stores get a little bit more complex, Inevitably, there's going to be elements of software required. And assuming that you know that our our listeners aren't software engineers themselves, I guess they've then got a choice of, you know, do they go out and hire someone to do that that technical work, or do they try and do it themselves using um, no code? What sort of things do you think they should get an engineer in to help versus trying to do it themselves with with no code? Yeah, I guess it depends. I mean, the interesting thing about no code is, I mean, part of what we realize is that, you know, the creation of experiences actually is a very multidisciplinary uh, mission. Like, you know, I would argue that a designer is probably even more important than an engineer on a lot of these experiences. It's like, okay, forget about how it's actually coded or implemented. You know, is what you're presenting, like, can people navigate this? Is it intuitive? Is it emphasizing the right information in the right way? You know, and so if you're not a design expert yourself and you're doing this as a serious business, yeah, I, I wouldn't wing that, you know. Um, I don't know if you necessarily need a designer 
full time on your staff. Uh, but I think you would want to, if not, probably contract with someone or, you know, hire an agency that, you know, has that talent, you know, and then like when it comes time to implement, then I think, you know, once you know what you want from an experience perspective and a design perspective, depending on the platforms you're using, it might be actually very easy to implement that design, you know, with no code. But if it's not, then you'll be able to identify that and say, okay, I'm going to need an engineer to build these pieces of it. Um, and again, whether that's a full-time person or frankly, if you're just starting out, uh, you know, probably best doing that on a contract basis. Yeah. And I guess, um, I think particularly in the e-commerce space, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, Zapier. Uh, well, <laughs> that's a funny debate. <laughs> Zapier versus Zapier. Uh, since their phrase is Zapier makes you happier. <laughs> I, uh, I assume it's Zapier, but you know. <laughs> and that's even before we get into Z's and Z's, isn't it? <laughs> but is, is that, so that is actually a no code platform then? Is that, is that, that's right. Yeah. yeah, they're generally considered one of the pioneers of that no code movement. Great. Um, I mean, I have to admit, I have never actually used it, but I think part of it is because, you know, because I am, you know, I, I'm, I'm familiar with Python. So generally, that is kind of the way I will approach things rather than um, trying to put something together with the Zapier. You know, I'll say, so I actually just did a presentation on a bunch of no-code tools. Uh, and so one of the things I did was I went into all these tools and set up free accounts and tried a bunch of stuff. And I got to say, like even uh, uh, Zapier, who I previously used, it had been a few years, I went in and it's just like so easy to get it set up. And like the things you can like trigger back and forth between different apps and the recipes, yeah. It, it was, I mean, I, I live this stuff and I was yeah. astounded. I was like, wow, this is seriously right. cool. So, and what, um, what is the performance like with, with Zapier on, on the sort of bigger data sets? Yeah, well, so that's the thing. I mean, a lot of what Zapier, 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 <laughs> no, no, you got me to which one it is. You know, that Z company. Um, uh, you know, a lot of what they are really good at is sort of, workflow that's happening behind the scenes, you know? So something happened and I want something else to happen as a result of that, but it isn't necessarily instantaneously being fed back into the user experience at that moment. It's more of like, okay, well, this triggers this. And then, you know, within a matter of seconds or minutes, you know, I want something else to happen. Um, so for me, I, I, at least in the cases I've explored, yeah, performance didn't seem to be a, a bottleneck. In, in many ways, I just feel like this is such a great time to be an entrepreneur because you have so many of these technologies um, that are actually now very affordable. They've got freemium models. You know, you can try things relatively inexpensively. And yeah, as, as, as an entrepreneur who wants to, you know, who has ideas and wants to see like, oh, could I do this? Could I make this happen? Um, it just feels like, yes, there's more competition than ever, but there's also more enablement to actually be able to do this stuff uh, than ever before. And so, I don't know, on balance, I'm a bit of an optimist. I, uh, <laughs> I, I think that enablement is uh, just incredible. Yeah, well, no, I completely agree. I mean, if I look back, I mean, I started my first e-commerce business, I, th I think, nearly 15 years ago. We actually had to develop the platform ourselves. Even that development, the tools, 
just weren't really there. So even that development took a lot more time than it would today. Um, whereas, of course, now, you know, it would have been a few clicks on something like Shopify and and the whole thing would have been set up um, in 15 minutes. Boy, I feel like we're just getting started. You know, I mean, like, I don't know, like, uh, at the risk of sounding a bit too, uh, you know, futuristic in this, you know, some of these things around, you know, 5G and augmented reality and virtual, I mean, like the experiences we're going to be able to create for people over, say, the next five years, I think it's just going to be astounding. And so it's like all this opportunity to sort of reinvent, um, you know, what an experience means to a customer. Well, I can see that because certainly up to now, from a pure experience perspective, it's definitely, there's definitely a better experience in a normal store, uh, a normal brick and mortar store than there is online. Um, and probably online is more because you've got more choice and it's probably a bit cheaper. Um, but I mean, it's fascinating though to think that you might hit a situation where the actual experience of online becomes stronger. Yeah, I uh, I mean, that's the beauty about this industry is, you know, whatever you and I were to, you know, hypothesize could happen. Yeah, those could happen, but odds are there's going to be a whole bunch of things that happen that we didn't even, like, anticipate, <laughs> couldn't have imagined. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, I think it's a great time to uh, be an entrepreneur in e-commerce. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much um, for, for, for joining us this week. I, um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Thank you. I did too. Really appreciate you having me. And I'll uh, link to um, the Chief Martech blog, of course, in the notes. If you would like to follow the marketing playbook I use to recruit 1 million e-commerce customers, then please install Machine Labs, available on the Shopify App Store. See you next week on The Joy of Marketing. Marketing.